Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. How to build an empire. So I'm not talking about a part-time, small income that you're looking to do nothing for and get passive returns. Whilst part-time, little income streams are good, they often don't build longevity. And um, I think many people who follow me on the Disruptive Entrepreneur and the Progressive Property Community, I think you want to build an empire. I think you want something vast and lasting something that makes a huge difference, that continues to pay income for years and decades, not just, you know, pays for a few months and then changes and then you've got to sort of start again. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things that I'm going to cover in this broadcast on building an empire. So for those of you who are fly tea, get rich quickie, this is not for you. But if you want to do something that's your calling and is a reflection of who you are, then this is for you. And of course, if you want to build vast wealth and get on the rich list one day, then this is for you. So the first thing is you need a clear vision. So what is your business, your empire, your legacy? What's it going to look like? Now, mine went from getting out of debt, which is good because, you know, got to get out of debt. Then it went to making three grand a month, five grand a month, 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 50 grand a month, 100 grand a month, half a million a month. Then I made my first million month. But once you've made more than enough money, to sort yourself out and you don't really need to focus on that anymore, then your vision really starts to matter because it helps other people. So the more your vision helps other people, the bigger it will be able to grow, the more society will serve you in equal value to how you serve them. So, you know, my vision is now global financial freedom. I want to educate as many people on the planet to become financially educated and hopefully financially free especially young people and in the third world. Now, getting out of debt is a very local vision, you know, i.e. me. And then making a few grand passive income might help my family. And then, you know, setting up a training business might help my region or even my nation. But then when you have a global vision and you help the globe or like Richard Branson and Elon Musk, they have an intergalactic vision. The bigger the vision, it stretches you out, it stretches your empire out and it stretches your income out. Now, there's been a lot of discussion I've been involved in recently on whether you actually have a vision, you know, whether you have a purpose, maybe you've not found it yet. So what I would say is just keep searching for the things that feel right for you. And then also where there seems to be a market for through your testing on conversations on social media and some initial marketing tests. So you want to kind of merge what what you're passionate about with a market that's out there. And then, of course, putting those two together and giving the market something that it wants. So, for example, whenever I write new books, of course, there are books I would love to write. There are books you'd love to read. Now, hopefully there are some books that I'd love to write that you'd love to read. Now, if I don't ask you what you'd love to read and write something that I want to write that you don't want to read, that's not a smart way to create a vision or a product 
or an idea. I'll give you an example. I really want to write poetry again. So I used to write poetry 11, 12, 15 years ago when I was a really arty artist. And I want to write a few poems on all of the emotions that human beings have. But like, I know that everyone who follows him in the progressive community and the disruptive entrepreneur podcast, you, you think, what? You know, because he's writing poems. He's gone back to his old art days. So, you know, that's not going to be something I'm going to be doing in these communities. Something I'm going to be doing in a whole new world or just as a sort of a side profession, you know, or, or even just a side hobby. Okay, so have a clear vision. And again, just to summarise, the best visions are the ones that meet your values and needs and how you want to be remembered and your legacy and the difference you want to make. Equally balanced and merged with what the world needs, which helps humanity thrive and grow. This is why Elon Musk, you know, the world loves him because of, you know, the batteries that are replacing the fossil fuel cars. And then, of course, you've got the tiles that he's designed that are battery powered. You know, this battery technology is so meaningful to mankind that he's getting billions in return and he's been lauded as, you know, the, one of the biggest geniuses since Einstein. But don't worry if you don't know what it is yet. Just keep searching and playing and testing. And don't worry if it's not intergalactic yet. You know, if you haven't even made five pence in the last 15 years, you don't need an intergalactic vision just yet. You can do it in stages. All right, next thing then is building assets. Now, this is one of my personal favorites. Now, this may take 10 minutes because I'm going to go really into detail about this. So... Most people on the planet are exchanging time for money. And that's okay if you can earn 50, 100 or 500 pounds on your hour. No harm doing 10 hours a day, maybe with a few breaks for five or 10 years. You know, you could earn a lot of money. But once that hour's done, you need to find the new client, the new customer. You know, you need to sell your time again. Whereas if you start selecting, investing your time into assets that have a long shelf life, then your world is going to change and so is your income and so is your business empire. So normally the way the world works in terms of money and exchanging your time is you'll exchange your time now for a very quick return, but that quick return will soon burn out. If you invest your time deeply into assets, it can sometimes be six months, a year, two years before you get income. But the longer you invest in and build something that lasts, the longer it's going to pay income. So, for example, Robert Kiyosaki wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's over 20 years old now and it's sold 41 million copies. That probably took him a year to write that book at least. I know he wrote it with a different title, which wasn't as well received. So he had to tweak it and iterate it. It might have been selling for three, four, five years. Who knows? And not selling many copies. Kept working at it, tweaking at it, changing the story slightly. Boom. Look at how successful it is. The Office, apparently that was 20 years or something like in the writing and trying to get it commissioned. And then, of course, boom. Now, I'm not saying you need to spend 20 years an asset for it to be worth anything. But some of the greatest artists, their work has taken them a long time. You know, don't not do something because it takes time. And definitely in your day, plan exchanging some time for money to pay the mortgage, pay the overheads, you know, keep the wolves at bay, look after your kids, send them to school, all that kind of stuff. You know, you've got to do that. But try and invest one, three, five hours of your day. I don't know. And certainly incrementally increase it over time in building assets. So I'm just going to reel off a load of them that you could do. One of the reasons I like to write a lot is because I know a good article, a good live feed video in audio or video format, you know, a good book can last for many years and be an asset for me. So I write a lot and I have nine books and I'm writing my 10th and each one of them earns me a good passive income. And each time I launch a new book, a load of my old books all of a sudden get bought. You know, like when you find a new band and you buy their first album or their third album, and then you go and buy their back catalogue. And so it is for people, you know, who follow authors. I always do that. If I find a new author, I go and buy all their books. 
So each one of those eight books that I wrote before money, which is my last, get bumps in sales. It's great how Amazon and Audible do. You want this? Others viewed this and others bought this. So they are assets forever, those books. And some of them did take me a long time. I was talking to someone today who was asking me, you know, do you like writing books? It's funny with books. I love writing and I hate writing. I love the freedom and the creativity and I love creating what I think is a good chapter or a good paragraph or a good book. But, you know, sometimes you go through a lot of self-loathing and sometimes you find it difficult and you're writing a lot of for ages and you're just not feeling inspired. And so it is with building assets. You know, this is why I love property, because if you buy a property and you hold it, you could earn on that asset forever. Mark and I, Mark Homer, my business partner, we were having a discussion literally, what, less than 24 hours ago. And we bought an 85,000 square foot building that we've been looking at various different plans and talking with the planning office of keeping the downstairs and keeping it rented out to BM home stores, but looking at maybe converting upstairs to between 70 and 120 flats, depending on how many floors we can build up. And there's been loads of plans and schemes and back and forth with the planning department, you know, working with them to try and work out what we can do. And yesterday, Mark said to me, and I kind of said to him at the same time, I'd rather keep it. So, you know, we can convert it into rooms or flats that we let out and we keep and we keep it forever. Now, yeah, we might make three million quid if we sell all the units off, but that might take two to three years from the start. And then you've got the two or three million quid and then you halve it between Mark and I and then you pay the tax and we might be left with, I don't know, a million or whatever. And, you know, a million doesn't last very long uh, if you've got expensive spending habits, like Mark Homer, no, <laughs> like me. Whereas if we could earn £400,000 a year out of it, which is maybe even a little bit more, which is, I think, what the net income would be, maybe half a million a year, and we, and we have that for another 55 years, that's an asset. So other assets are licenses, apps. Other assets are online programs that you create videos that you then have as a, a live feed, as a Facebook video, as a YouTube video. Um, you know, if you put your courses on Udemy and Linda and all these other um, sites which host online courses, if you have information that you can package, you know, musicians who write music, I mean, Slade, the Christmas number one, talk about an asset. Oh, I wish I wrote that song. Every Christmas, they must love it. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of passive income just for shouting, it's great. Yeah, all right. I won't do any more impressions. So there are many things that you can build that are assets. If you're a public speaker, your speech is an asset. Gerald Ratner's a very good friend of mine. We hire him a lot as a speaker. And, um, you know, obviously he had his troubles in business, but he created a speech out of it. People love it. He self, you know, he, he took a lighter approach and kind of, you know, um, there's a lot of self-depreciating humor in that. And that's an asset. And he's earned hundreds of thousands of pounds out of doing that speech. I don't know if you can create a film. I don't know if you can create a piece of art. I don't know if you can create a piece of art and then have a limited edition of 500 of them. Of course, you know, the, the original art is the asset and you can just keep printing them. So there are so many things that you can build as assets and assets is what builds you an empire, you know, like filling the monopoly board. Um, so just be very selective on how you use your time. I'm sure there's more. I might even remember some of them and come back to them in a minute. Now, the third thing then is using what I call cross-stream leverage. Now, I'm going to kind of contradict myself a bit here, but stay with me because I think there's a paradox in most um, things that we talk about. And the paradox is in, in building these multiple assets is if you try and do them all today, you end up spreading yourself so thin, getting overwhelmed, split, spinning so many plates and end up getting nowhere. So uh, the caveat to this is, let's say like me, if, you watch, if you're listening in the progressive community, then you love property. 
Okay, so how could you create another asset but not have to start again and do something new? You know, if you went into cookery after you've built a portfolio, you've got to start again from the bottom. And, you know, like, I mean, if you've got four or five oil wells and you drill one fifth of the way down in five oil wells, you get one fifth of the way down on each one and you don't get any, anywhere near oil on any of them. The only way to get oil is to go five fifths of the way down on one and strike oil properly. Only then should you start drilling the second. So cross stream leverage is where you buy a load of properties and then you set up a letting agency. Or you become very knowledgeable in property and you make a lot of money and success in property and then you write a book or run a course on it. Or if you're like Joe Wicks, who, you know, got really fit and lean, then you create lean in 15 books and TV shows and everything else. Uh, and I think this is one of the secrets to building a vast sustainable asset base without getting overwhelmed. Because, you know, there are some people who say that focus on one thing like a laser and only do one thing. There are some people that say you need multiple streams of income. Well, I think actually the truth is in the middle. You should focus most of your time on your main thing. And I'd say maybe 70%. But then 20% of your time you want on your secondary thing to build that second income stream. And also to be ready for that second income stream to become a big income stream when you've systemized your first income stream and to de-risk your first income stream going wrong. So don't be drilling down one fifth of the way in five oil wells, go deep in one and then try and go across. So imagine if you could do that. Let's play this analogy a bit further. So you're drilling, you've drilled all the way down in one well and you could just drill across a bit instead of going back to the top and drilling down again. So Mark and I waited till we had a few hundred properties, then we set up a letting agency. But we were basically a letting agency anyway. We were hiring, you know, the refurb teams, the cleaners. We were basically a letting agency. So it was really quite easy to set it up. And when we set up our letting agency on day one, it had 350 properties in its letting agency because we gave it all of ours that we just took off our letting agent. So there you go. Very easy to write a book when you are a, a, an expert already or, you know, certainly very knowledgeable in the field that you're writing the book in. You know, once you get to second or third down in martial arts, you can set up a martial arts school because it's cross stream leverage. You know, if you've written um, a few great albums, you could do a collaboration, just like Coldplay have done some great collaborations. And um, what's the band with the guy from The Voice in? He's done loads of collaborations. You know, like if you're a celebrity footballer, um, you could do endorsements and sponsorships, but you wouldn't get any of those sponsorships unless you became a really successful footballer. So get great at the thing that you're great at and then just cross stream leverage to, be, to build more assets. OK, the fourth point then is to use just general leverage. Now, of course, most of you watching here, you love property, you're into property, so you know what leverage is and you find it pretty easy. It's quite an amazing thing, though, if you think about it from this point of view. If you're not big into property, listen to this. You can go to an estate agent without them charging you for their time. You can go and view properties without paying for the viewings. You can buy a property without paying the fees because the seller pays the fees. You can go to a bank for, what, 75 or 70 percent of the value of the property. You can go to a private investor or a family member or a private lender or a VC firm or a crowdfunding firm, an angel, a dragon, anyone for the rest of the money. And the bank will lend the money based on the security of the property that you haven't paid for. And the private financer will also do the same. And then you can let it out via a letting agent who do all the lettings for you and just pay them a small fee. And the tenant will pay your mortgage off. 
And you will be left with the rest that you can repeat and do the same thing. Oh, and by the way, inflation will help pay your mortgage down for you. That's, I don't know how many ways of, that, of leverage. That's like five ways or more of leverage. Now, people who work for a living and people who exchange their time for money, and uh, you know, when you work out how many hours you work versus how much money you make, and it's almost less than McDonald's, they're doing the reverse of this. They're being leveraged by society, by their boss, by their landlord, whatever. Now, this is not better. I'm not judging anyone who's leveraging or being leveraged. This, you know, we're all interconnected and the tenant needs a landlord like the landlord needs the tenant. Um, you know, so I'm not making a moral judgment here. I'm just saying you're watching this. You probably or listening. You know, you want to build an empire. This is how you build an empire. You leverage staff. You leverage systems. You know, you leverage live feed videos and podcasts and YouTube channels, you leverage social media profiles, you know, you can get to millions of people across the globe with an internet connection. Uh, leverage is so powerful. And the way for you to think about leverage is how can I get two, five or 10 times the results in one, two or one tenth of my time? You know, what can accelerate my progress? What can make life easier? faster, better? What can reach more customers more quickly? How can I access more finance without having to put my own funds in? How can I get results without having to put my own time in? And I've got one, and in, in two points time, I'm going to link this one to the next one. So leverage. The next one is building a team. So a lot of people, um, especially kind of hard workers and hustlers, they're working too hard to be rich. Now, let's just look at it from a simple maths point of view. If you're worth £100 an hour and you work 10 hours a day, then you can earn £1,000 a day. But if you had 100 people working 10 hours a day for you, then how much can you earn? What's 100 times 10? It's 1,000. So you can work less and have people work more and you earn on them and you make more money working less. Now, you know, I wrote a book, wrote a book called Life Leverage. You know, how to you know, get more done in less time, how to outsource everything, how to live your ideal mobile lifestyle. And some of the skeptics or the critics or the guru bashers, they're like, oh, well, you can't do that. You, know, you, you can't just set and forget. And uh, you have to work hard enough not to have to work hard. And whilst I certainly agree, you do have to set up the systems, the processes, the team. You do have to lead the team. You know, Sam Walton, when he was um, alive and had Walmart, 2.3 million staff they have now. And his family, his children are all worth billions from the wealth that they inherited because they leverage 2.3 million staff. They leverage all of the suppliers, the producers, the farmers. Um, so are you building a team or are you working too hard on your own? Now, I'm not saying take your eye off the ball, kick back, drink your pina colada, smoke your cigar, expect to be a multimillionaire. You know, even when you're a leader, even when you have a team of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, you've got to go in and roll up your sleeve and solve some problems sometimes. You've got to guide them. You know, you've got to think hard as opposed to work hard. And sometimes you need space and time to think hard. But there are a lot of one-man bad entrepreneurs, solopreneurs who are like, oh, well, I'm not hiring people because I don't want to manage people. And I've hired someone before and they were sh and I was paying them to do a job and I could have done it myself and I'm better than them anyway. And they always mess it up. And all my customers, they only want to deal with me. But that is a mentality that keeps you being a solopreneur. I don't know a one-man band that earns more than 150 grand a year. 
And then they have to have outsourcers. And then when they have staff, you know, if you have a, someone who earns 500 grand, you know, they've got few staff. If they earn a million, you know, you've got a few more staff. If there's 10 million, you know, they've probably got between 30 and 150 staff. If they're 100 million, you know, they probably need 500 or 1,000 staff. It's almost, you could almost get a ratcheted percentage staff versus your income. So you've got to embrace building this team. Now you can start with a couple of hours a week admin to a virtual assistant and build it up. And then you hire your first PA one day a week, two days a week. My first PA was my mum. Mark's first PA was his mum. They were our two first members of staff. We got them in and we paid them with love or rather their love. And then we paid them the minimum we could so that they weren't getting taxed. And, you know, we were just sort of paying a minimum and which, you know, we just helped. They just helped us out and got us going. And then we got our first prop member of staff, then our fifth, then our 50th, then our 100th, and, 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 and so it grows. And once you kind of got that concept, you know, if you listen to me and you've got a reasonable sized business, you get that. But, you know, you probably need to embrace growing more, growing more, growing more if you want to build this big empire. Don't avoid it. Okay, then the next thing is being a leader. Now, I believe leadership is the most important role to evolve society, and it's the highest paying role there is on the planet. So if you look at the billionaires and the people who earn the most on their time, they're generally a leader of some variety. I don't know if they're, you know, they've made their money in retail or they've made their money on the internet. But, you know, normally it's not the coders and hackers who are making the money like Mark Zuckerberg is now. Yes, he did code and hack for a long time, but now really is a leader. He's creating a vision. He's investing in charities. He's becoming a philanthropist. He sometimes even goes into the world of politics and being interviewed on podcasts and in, in, in a great, a great huge conventions and expos. And really his job now is to lead his team and inspire them with a vision. You probably aren't going to see him you know, on a laptop 12 hours a day, working at a load of new hacks and little glitches on Facebook. And if you look at, the, you know, Richard Branson mostly is a leadership role. Now, I know someone who knows him very, very well. And basically, if you get to pitch Richard Branson an idea, he'll go, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then he'll pass it to his team. He has five PAs, I believe. Man, I want five PAs. Mm, that sounds good. <laughs> All right. So, and, and I think the greatest skill in a leader is developing other leaders. You know, leading and managing is very different. I'm not saying you want to micromanage the few people you've got. You want to be able to create a vision. You want to be able to inspire people. You want to guide people. Steve Jobs was famous for getting people to rise up to a level of productivity and efficiency and results and success that they didn't even believe they could achieve themselves. But he got them believing at a higher level. So if you've got leaders beneath you and you nurture other leaders, you're a real leader. Now, some leaders are just autocratic managers in disguise who want to be seen as the big I am. And what, you know that game at the fairground where the head pops up and you knock it down and the head pops up and you knock it down and the head pops up and you knock it down. Du, 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 du. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's not leadership. You know, that's micromanagement or power tripping. And that's definitely not the way forward. So when you're a leader that can nurture other leaders, then basically what happens is you stand at the top of this massive empire and this empire grows itself because the leaders that you've trained develop other leaders who develop other leaders who develop other leaders and the team can just grow and grow and grow like a massive army. Okay, so let's go on to, we've got four points left. So the next point is reinvesting profits back into this machine that you're building that I've covered on the first six points. So as a general rule, Mark and I will draw about 50% of our net profits from our properties, from our companies, you know, our various different income streams, you know, like books and training materials and courses and our letting agency. We'll draw about 50% of that 
and then we'll reinvest about 50% of that. So we'll keep it in the retained profits and we'll reinvest it back into hiring new staff, developing better systems, you know, in the wear and tear in our buildings and making them look better in the design, in the brand, in the marketing. You know, a lot of money's got to go back into marketing because you've got to find tomorrow's customer. Now, a lot of people are either making no money or they're making a bit of money, but they're not drawing any because they have guilt of drawing money. You should draw money. If you don't draw money, it's not a real business because a business isn't a real business unless it can pay its founder. And it's, that's got to be factored in. Or they're drawing it all and sucking it dry and, you know, creating a director's loan account and, you know, basically you know, almost making it insolvent. So you've got to balance that. But you've got to put money back in. Now, you know, the laws of capitalism and the laws of competition um, encourage us to innovate. We need to innovate because we need to beat our competition. So we're incentivized to reinvest money, uh, you know, profits back into uh, new marketing or new innovation or improving our products and services so that we can better our competition and make more profits. Uh, and that is the great thing about the, the capitalist, um, you know, the, the, the concept of fair competition. So I just think it's a good rule to go on. Invest 50% of your profits back. Spend 50% of your profits and when I say spend, I mean draw it. But of course, I, I spend about 30% of my income. The rest goes into investing in assets or you know, whatever else. The next thing in is having multiple streams of income and diverse assets. So once you've drilled a few wells, five fifths down, and you've got different income streams, you know, you've got an asset, let's say you've got a property portfolio and you've got your jet, whatever business you're in, you've got. And you've got the information that you've created about the brand that you've built around yourself. You know, for myself, it's generally financial education and personal development and business education. Um, and, you know, then you bought a load of watches and you've got a couple of classic cars and you've invested all your ISAs that you can and you've upped the allowance and you've invested into funds and, you know, whatever other assets. If you got in Bitcoin really early, then you've got these multiple streams of income in diverse asset classes. Now, you mustn't go diverse before you've gone deep and made yourself very good at one thing. But if you're still only in one thing in 10 or 20 years, you risk disruption, you risk regulation or regulatory changes or just changes in trend. So when you have multiple streams of income in multiple diverse assets, of course, you have a bigger empire. Um, if you have them also in different geographic locations around the world, when England isn't doing very well, Australia is doing great, when the recession starts in America and it hasn't come over to the UK, the UK is supporting America and vice versa. And of course, then if you want to continue to grow your business because you've got pretty mature in certain markets, you can go to, I don't know, maybe the Far East or some of the um, you know, underdeveloped parts of Africa. You know, there's still a lot of places in the world that don't have internet connections. So you go into those markets so that you've always got areas to grow in and you, you're just de-risked from, you know, surprises that could happen. Okay, the next one then, I believe, is really important. And it's only really in the last 18 months I've been banging on about this. Um, but I'm in the legal process, which is taking a while, but it does, of setting up my foundation. And um, in studying money, uh, one of the commonalities of all the billionaires I studied is they had a philanthropic cause. You know, they, give, gave, they gave away hundreds of millions or even billions. And, the, you know, the, the, the modern billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are giving away billions to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and to various charities and libraries and schools and hospitals and universities. And actually, if you study all the billionaires over time, that's that's happened throughout time. And I thought it's time to up my game. You know, Mark and I have been giving away hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to our various charities that we support that mean something to us. 
but we don't have control over that. You know, we, we can't um, make that uh, grow towards our vision. And, uh, you know, we don't know where all the money goes. And I just think it's time to step up in terms of my responsibility, not just giving money away, but having a responsibility to do some good stuff with it and to get other people bought in. So I'm better at raising money, not just giving away myself, but from other people um, and having something good to do with the money I make. Uh, and I had a chat with a good friend who's built a village in the Philippines. He's, he's built a hundred homes and he's got a huge vision for his uh, foundation. He said, Rob, you know, your business will grow when your foundation grows because you'll, you'll set your targets a bit higher because you'll want to make half a million a year or a million a year or more for your foundation. And so you'll push your targets up and you'll hit higher targets and people around the world will see you do great things with your money and they'll be more attracted and aligned to you. So it serves your capitalist interests as well as your philanthropic interests. And like I said, all the billionaires, you know, a lot of people look at billionaires as greedy, capitalist, evil masters. But if you look at a lot of them, they're the ones that have fueled, you know, libraries, universities. Look at Carnegie and Vanderbilt. They fueled many of the great universities and libraries um, in the world. Many of the famous American um, universities like Harvard. Um, you know, they were funded by billionaire philanthropists. And of course, uh, you know, all the diseases we've cured have come, for, come from, you know, big donors who've given away hundreds of millions or, or billions, you know, and I think it's your responsibility to do the same. Now, if you haven't got much money at the moment, then you can invest your time. You can go and help other people. You can have a cause that you fight for and a thing that you do, but you just help and you support. And then as you can, you know, get a bit bigger, you can raise some money. You set up a, you know, a virgin donate page, or you could do a little GoFundMe or a Kickstarter campaign, but you can make a difference and it will help build your empire as well. And it will leave something that matters. Because once you're gone, people aren't really going to care how much money you made. They're going to care how many people are still employed, how many people across the planet are helped, are served, are solved, are lives made better. And of course, a foundation is a great way to do that. And then finally is building your community, building your loyal followers, your fans, your personal brand. Now, I did an entire episode on this, both in video and audio podcast format. So you can find that on my Rob Moore Progressive Facebook page, or if you listen to one of the previous episodes on the Disruptive Entrepreneur. But I will sort of summarize that for you. I believe that one of the most monetizable brands is your personal brand, not just your company brand. Uh, and if you look at many of the people who have big companies like Elon Musk and like Mark Zuckerberg, they also have huge personal brands and their personal brands are probably as worth worth as much as their company or corporate brands. You know, they have goodwill um, rolled up and stored in their personal brand, their reputation. You know, how many people follow them? You know, if you've got a million followers on a social media profile, each one of those will have a monetary value if you were to offer products, services, endorsements. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's, um, it's like, you know, goodwill that's um, um, often measured in a business. It's hard to measure in a business, but it's not that hard to measure in terms of your email subscribers, the likes on Facebook, the followers on Instagram and YouTube and uh, etc. How many people watch your live feed videos? How many people subscribe to your podcasts? So I think that you should continue to invest in these by setting up all these social media profiles and you know, your email database and managing all of your contacts like they're all they all have a monetary value. Now, I'm not saying see people like pound signs, but I'm saying these have value. And then you can joint venture with other influencers and you can kind of swap, you know, the community and the followers so that you um, introduce them to yours and, and vice versa. And then you grow them. 
Uh, and you know, you're one great video away from going viral, from getting thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of followers and fans. And you know, this is what I'm doing with my podcast. I never sell on my podcast. I never sell ads. You know, by the way, um, it's kind, this is kind of all in because all of the assets that I've built and a kind of a, you know, an empire that I've built, it is an empire because I'm, I'm not one of these people who just wants a bit, little bit of part-time income. But hey, you know, there's always a billionaire that's worth more than me. Um, but because of that, I can give my information freely without having to monetize it and, you know, sell ads every two seconds. But, you know, I now have millions of followers around the world and uh, tens of thousands of listens a day and views a day on my videos and audios. And, you know, one day in the future, you know, I'd love just a little passion of mine to do something with Odomar's PGA. It's just, I just love Odomar's PGA. I love their brand. I love their values. I love the watch, you know, like, and I'd, 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 I'd basically be their brand ambassador for free, although I hope they're not listening because I'd, I'd also like to get paid for it or at least get some nice APs. You know, one day I might want to do a partnership with them. You know, look what Dwayne Johnson did with Siri. But, you know, now if he didn't have 2 million plus followers in his social media profile, so it might even be like 10 or 20 million, I don't know, then Apple wouldn't have done that. And Gary Vaynerchuk's done it with K-Swiss. So uh, what you want to do is have a me message, have a mission, have a cause, have something you stand for and against. Be well known for something. Like I'm quite well known as being the disruptive entrepreneur. Like, like I said, there's always someone bigger than me, so I'm not blowing my own trumpet. And go and share your soul, go and help people, go and give information, value, support people, um, you know, put out good content, get your community engaged and following, get feedback from them so that they tell you what problems they want solving and go and solve them. And then take all your information and repurpose it in, onto different profiles. So this is currently a live feed video in the progressive community, which, um, you know, one of my guys will then take this video and he'll put it on YouTube. And it, you, if you're listening, it's on the um, Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, which will then go on to SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and wherever else. And then it'll probably get transcribed and written as an, art, written as an article that will, and one of my, my SEO guy will then SEO it and put it on as a blog. And all of a sudden, I'm taking information that you've told me you want because I find out the information I want by solving my own problems and solving yours. And then I'm putting it in multiple, um, it's called repurposing, you know, you're putting it to different asset bases and then you're, you're, get, you're getting greater reach. So, you know, normally on a video, I have between five and 15,000 views in the first, I don't know, few days. Um, and then normally on, on a podcast, I have tens of thousands of, view, of listens in the first few days. Um, I've got to up my YouTube game. I've got to up my Instagram game. I'm definitely upping those. Um, but, you know, each, each piece of information like this might end up getting me five, 50 to 500,000 listens or views over a three or five year time frame. And I'm by no means the biggest social media guy there is. You know, there's so many people bigger than me. Um, so I'm still working it up in my game. But the more value you put out in the world, the world remembers that and stores that. And that's built as goodwill. And then one day, you know, I'm going in the future, create a, a podcast course because I know so many of my followers around the world, they want to do a podcast, but they think that, you know, the podcast market is flooded, even though it's not because only 4% of people in the UK listen to podcasts. Or they think there are other people in their industry that do it already or that they don't really know how to do it. Or for me, it was how do you, what the, what's the equipment, the tech? How do you edit it? How do you get it uploaded? What sites do you put it on? All of that, oh, I don't know. And that stopped me. I should have done it about a year ago. 
Now, Joe Rogan's been doing this five years longer than me, and he gets 60 million downloads a month. And I'm not saying I'd necessarily have 60 million downloads a month, but if I started five years ago, I'd have millions of downloads a month, and I'm kicking myself the belt. But, you know, hey, no point in regretting what I should have done. But I'm saying all of this because you should be saying all of this to yourself too. But one of the greatest gifts you can give the world is what you know about, what you've mastered, what you've spent your whole life learning and solving and getting over the challenges of, and you've worked out how to do it, and you've saved some time and you've made some money. You've got to go out there, I believe, and give it to the world. And when I say you've got to, because that's what's left of you when you're gone. That's how humanity evolved and survive because if we didn't teach our kids to survive how we've learned to survive because our parents taught us how to survive then none of us survive you know you don't have a baby then go there you go mate go and learn it all on your own they die so and it's the same with information and your legacy will die if you don't do this but all your fears and doubts and worries about doing it oh people are going to judge me people are going to troll me people are going to think i don't know enough yet blah 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 just comment on what you know and then build it over time and then when, you have me, when you've created a great product or service that you want to launch, you have a hungry market. I mean, if, I, if Apple launch another product, you know they're going to have queues going out for miles, 48 hours in advance, people camping out before they launch products because they've got the goodwill in all the products and even Steve Jobs' legacy and all the goodwill of how he was and how he did his keynotes and even wearing his black clothes and everything about him is all in the goodwill. All right, so... Work on the asset of you, your personal brand. Separate your personal brand and your company brand. Make sure you've got assets in both. All right, so let me just summarize for you. Have a very clear vision. Start with you, get bigger, local, national, global, intergalactic. Build assets of which I list about 30 classes, listed 30 classes, and there's probably another 50 more. Use cross stream leverage where you've already built one asset. Build another asset on the side, which it takes 90% of the work you did in the previous asset so that you don't have to keep starting again and drilling down on your oil. Use general leverage. I use the analogy of property and how you can leverage a load of different ways, i.e., you know, think smarter, don't work harder. Uh, build a team. You can't do this on your own. Also for support, accountability, if you're feeling lonely, if you're working hard, if you're doing things you hate, if you're having to do things you're not very good at, there are other great reasons for building a team. Be a leader who develops other leaders. Reinvest about 50% of the profits you draw back into building your empire and having it grow and compound. Have multiple streams of income and divert for in diverse asset classes. Have a charitable foundation, cause and something to stand for and build a community and a personal brand. Thanks for tuning in. This is Rob Moore of the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And if you're listening and watching and you're not in the disruptive entrepreneurs community, you need to get yourself in there because that's where we continue the dialogue that we have on the podcast. That's where you get to, you know, to have me help you personally rather than just listening to me in one of the 185 countries that you are sat in right now. So just search disruptive entrepreneur community on Facebook. You will find me there. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything.